0: The super Dad Show. I'm your host, Jared Lestrange. Being a Super Dad is not about being perfect, it's about having a growth mindset and striving to become the very best version of ourselves. Each week, we interview our superhero guests about how they deal with the everyday pressures of being a parent, partner, and provider. We discover new ways to develop our real life skills. We learn new strategies to help us to make massive growth. Subscribe now, listen in, and become an active part of our worldwide community of Superdads. Now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. What do Albert Einstein, scientist and mathematician, Dan Aykroyd and Jerry Seinfeld comedians and actors, Bill Gates, one of the richest men in the world, Steve Jobs, CEO of Apple, Michelangelo and Mozart have in common? Well, let me tell you, they all fall somewhere on the autistic spectrum, and the fact is, a lot of us with our different personalities and quirkiness probably do also. But for many parents, many families that is, autism affects them greatly. The people in the list I just read out may be geniuses and world changes to us now. But can you imagine how challenging it must have been to be their parents and to help them adjust to a world that has particularly confining ideas of what is, in inverted commas, normal? Well, today on The Superdad Show, we are joined by a superdad of four kids, Barry Jones. Barry has some hard-fought experience navigating the world of the autistic spectrum, and he is here to share his wisdom with us today. Barry, welcome to The Superdad Show.
1: Thanks, Jared. Good to be here.
0: Now, Barry, you're a father of four kids. Am I right that it's your youngest of four that has autism?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He's a five year old. So, yes, and the youngest of the four. I have a 20 year old, 15, and almost a 12 year old. So, yeah. So, So he's the troublemaker in the family.
0: (laughs) So, that must have been a bit of a shock for you to have you know, three kids who um, uh, are obviously all, all healthy and happy. And I'm not saying your, your youngest isn't, but uh, okay. <laughs> obviously have a challenge um, such as autism. You've been through all of that. And it's why I've got you on the podcast today so that you can shed some light and, and hopefully a positive message for parents who right now might be sticking their head in the sand or or are experiencing some, some changes or differences in their kids. So... Look, very first question for you today um, is what is uh, the difference between autism and Asperger's?
1: Well, it's, um, I, I, I think the term Asperger's used to be known. It's not now all ASD, so it's, everything is on the spectrum and it's a very, very broad spectrum. So, And it's very difficult to categorise because most people who are diagnosed as having autism fall within various parts of that spectrum and I could be on one end but also on the other one in the middle so it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one to answer because it's so broad mm, mm. and um, so that whole idea of Asperger's and I, I, it's funny actually because I speak to people almost on a weekly basis who say exactly the same thing to me oh my brother was Asperger's and my youngest is ASD more as if it was two separate diagnoses and it actually isn't it's all.
0: And to be honest, that's, that's why I asked the question, because yeah. I know very little about this subject. And, uh, and for me, I thought it was two different things. I didn't even know that there was this autistic, uh, autism spectrum disorder, which it had all been, you yeah. know, humped into now. So I thought that was a good question yeah. for you, for starters. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, and we all fall underneath that category as well. I mean, I, I love things in rows and lines. You know, some people pull hair. Um, you know, they twiddle their their hair and and that's a form of stimming, um, you know, so it's, um, we all fall in the category somewhere. So, Mm. but it's how we cope with that on a normal everyday basis. Um, obviously when it comes to my own son, naturally he's been diagnosed as ASD, but he falls underneath the spectrum in so many other areas as well. So, Mm. um, it's a little bit different naturally. But um, yeah. we normally, as normal everyday people, and I say the word "normal" as in because it, it's an easy reference point for people to understand. Mm. But my boy isn't normal, and no other children are on the spectrum in the sense normal. So, and I hate that word um, because we're all normal in our own right. But just as a definition for kind of explaining today, mm. Um, mm. You know, there's so many other areas that has an impact on his life, and also the impact on the family and ourselves.
0: Yeah, so, for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, we're going to unpack that a bit more. But look, next question: When did you discover your child was on the spectrum? What were the behaviours or <clears throat> things that made you think, okay, we, we might need to have yeah. a look at this?
1: Yeah. Well, I we got our diagnosis really early on. um So I, he was actually three years old when he was diagnosed, and there was a there was a few areas that we weren't too sure about. I have to say. You know, in his normal, I would say the normal developments as a normal child would go. I mean, some are behind, some are forward, but they naturally just fall into that whole zone as they grow and develop. But he was um quite repetitive in some of his behaviors. So he would walk up to doors and and open and close doors, he would flip switches on and off. Um he would get also get like a, um, like a little ball and bounce it on the floor, and it would and he would literally uh, when I say he would bounce it on the floor, he would get right up close to it. So it's almost close to his face and bounce mm. the ball. But he was also a non-sleeper. He still is a non-sleeper. Um, wow. And, um, y- you know, he would be, I mean, he's also um, he's a- also um, uh, hyperactive as well. So he would bounce off the walls and, and he'd be uncontrollable almost. Almost as if he couldn't hear what we were yeah we were saying he was so separated from his environment that we were wondering well what's going on here mm. so at, at three years old we decided to obviously just go through the normal checking we checked his ears they were absolutely fine um his speech was really really bad as well so he couldn't speak um, that was really delayed um and it's still delayed which we'll get into and he couldn't really communicate at all. He couldn't really identify what he wanted, how he wanted it. So it was very early on. I mean, we, we got that whole idea that something wasn't quite right early on. We went to our own GP mm. and, you know, basically he said, look, you know, he's, he's a bit too young really at this stage. Let's leave her. And as you know, any intervention, early intervention was always the best. So we decided to go private which unfortunately a lot of people are are, are able to do, but we decided to pay the money and we went to obviously go and get those um, areas checked and naturally got the diagnosis that he was Mm
0: autistic. Okay. So, look, as I said just in that intro, um, I know for me, my ego would come into it, I would I would be one of these dads who would probably want to stick my head in the sand at first and go, no, not my child. He's, he's fine. You know Um, you obviously had some behavioral things that, uh, that caused you to really, you know, seek out that diagnosis. I mean, what are some things for our listeners that, you know, the, the big things that they should be looking for in their own children?
1: Yeah, um, you know that's that that's probably a especially from male to a female. I found this in in certainly my own relationship, with my own partner. That we were, she would actually bring it up to me, and I and because I'm a nurse, um, I would go back and say, well, look, you know, he is too early on, and I, I, I put my whole clinical head on, mm-hmm. and then I, that would be my rational aspect and go, well, you know, give it a chance, let's see how he develops. Uh, but really, I think deep down, I already knew there was something wasn't quite right. I'm, I was probably almost exactly as you said, putting your head in the sand and saying, "Well, uh, so I, I'm probably victim of that myself." And, that, and that's mm-hmm. that, that's probably one of uh, one of the things that I really should have changed. But but you know, we we did get it early on in the diagnosis as well. So his diagnosis was done at three years old, which is probably a little bit too young but his symptoms were so, so advanced that it was fairly obvious there was something wrong. So it wasn't yeah. really hard to break that down. Other children, they might be, not, they might be a little bit more refined. Um, mm-hmm. They might notice it until they're seven or eight or nine, you know, as yeah. their behavior changes and as they grow and develop. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a very difficult one to put into certain categories, but I certainly know from my own perspective that, um yeah, I, did do exactly the same. I did put my head on the sand a little bit and put my rational head on rather than my yep. father emotional head on.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so you spoke about you spoke about how your wife and yourself had this difference in opinion there. How did that impact your relationship at that time?
1: Oh, I think it's um, it definitely did have a massive effect on the relationship. In fact, the strain was actually quite quite astronomical. I think. My partner's a very different individual. She's not really a great talker. Um, You'd Mm -hmm. think it was the complete opposite, but then me being a nurse, and I've probably got a larger set of ovaries than she has. So (laughs) from my perspective, I was was wanting to talk about it, and I was wanting to express those things, and wants to say, look, something isn't quite right, which is a kind of contradiction, really, in Mm. in respect, because I'm probably a little bit deeper in that time, but she wasn't ready for that, and I suppose that's where it comes down to that whole grieving process as well, because it is a grieving process. And I think people, once you get the diagnosis, it's almost like a smack to the face, and it's like, well, what do I do, you know? Mm. Um, you know. And I think as well as there's a stigma to that as well as we've got a disabled child. Visually, you look at my child and you would go, he's a perfectly normal, healthy boy. As soon as he reacts and he moves around and he does his normal autistic quirks, you know something's not quite right we 've come to endear that it 's something we 've embraced so we 're yeah. i 'm certainly not ashamed of that now um, yeah. however it 's the within the appropriate settings if we 're in a shop or those sort of things which people do get uncomfortable with or with all around friends or mm. you know those sort of things they they say they understand, but they probably don 't because they don 't really know quite how to react to it themselves so but that that relationship uh, issue just getting back to that was, was, was absolutely a hard one. And it's still mm. going through that transition. I think some people think we just kind of accept it and now we move on. It, it doesn't work that way at all. It's a known, an, an ever-ongoing process. As he develops and changes, we develop and adapt and change to that, that, that too. So we're going through a state of change and we have to be in line with each other because mm. you know she wants to cope in a, her, her own way. Typical man, I wants to go and fix it. And, you yeah. know, we do. We just want to fix everything. And it's very easy and rational. And we want to, you know, tell our wife, oh, you know, it's going to be okay. And But yet, deep down in our own hearts, we know that, you know, we're going through that whole process too. But you've got to remain strong. You've got to do all of those things. Mm. But then there's also that aspect, your own psychological health is important as well. And I think as males, we don't tend to look at that as being important at all. And that's a, that's a sad statistic, and you, you know that's actually quite high, that, mm. you know, you don't cope well with it. So, mm. and I see that as a massive generalization, but I think it's fair to say that we don't. And we, you know, we, we don't look at it from another person's perspective, certainly from a female's perspective. And they process things a whole lot differently than we do. It's how we align ourselves so we're on the same road path and on the same framework, and the geography of the landscape is the same. So it's a yeah. difficult one. It's a difficult yeah. one. And I can't put. So, a, I can't give you any advice on that because it's mm. difficult for everyone. But as long as you understand that it's there and you do have to adapt to it, that's probably the only great advice that I can give. That you need to understand mm. that it, it mm. does exist. You have to mm. accept that. But how are you going to work around that?
0: Yeah. So look, it's it's probably it's probably something that you know we could talk a little bit more about just because. Uh, my statistics here are that eighty percent of marriages with a child with autism break down now you 've spoken about the uh, stress and strain of that. obviously, the most important thing in any relationship is that communication yeah. um, open communication about it, not holding things to uh, to ourselves and uh, and also I guess working as a team with this now. Mm-hmm when you had this conversation with your wife and you finally decided, okay, you know, it's, it's time. We accept that we need to, you know, get an opinion about this, a professional opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, the question is, did you, did you initially google it and and you know look to dr google for these answers um and then (laughs) once you have done that yeah which most people do and then you know the big question is you know what should parents do next if they suspect their child has autism so they've looked at dr google they've looked at the behavior they've said okay we do need to do something about this what should they do next
1: yeah that's a good question um i i think we'd start when we initially got diagnosed that we'd started out with speech and i think if, in, in the piece that i'd send you that you know i originally spoke it was it was something that i knew was quite there but i wasn't really too sure hmm. uh, and it's like everything else it just smashed you in the face it just that whole impact it was almost instantaneous it's yeah okay there's something wrong here and I, it was a very big realisation for me at that time through speech. It was probably suggested. And, uh, you know, now reflecting back, I, I mean, he was climbing on the chairs. He was climbing on the walls. He was just all over the place. There was no coordination. We, we couldn't get him to sit in one space. He would just bounce around mm. the room. And when I say he would bounce around the room, mm. he would be on the cabinets. He would be, yeah, it, it was mm. so now rationally when I look at it, uh, it was it was fairly obvious, but as you know, you 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 do put these things aside and you think, oh no, no, maybe he's just developing a little bit slower than everyone else. Mm. But I think once you go and meet those individuals who can give you specifics, and I think you, uh, I certainly found that the routine that we checked out in terms of his hearing and those standard checks were quite important because they were ruled out very early on because once we got into the process of checking up the, the, uh, whether or not he was on the autistic scale, those things came up. So we had all of those things tapped off and done. They were they were the simple things. We pushed them aside and say, okay, then, mm-hmm. so let's go and see a psych. Let's go and see a speech therapist. Let's go and see a, a pediatrician, which you obviously need all three to actually get the diagnosis. I, I think um that, this is probably um, when you do get the diagnosis. It was almost like, yeah, well, we got the diagnosis, but what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was almost like a handshake and a here's the bill, and now you can go and apply for funding. And um, and that was really it. So I, and that's when we we linked up with Naomi on her page to really speak to other people and go, okay, then, so what do we do now? um and that's um and that's a long long road you know we're, we're on that journey and we will be on that journey forever and a day now so um,
0: wow. hmm. so, so let's I, uh, let's I'm, um it, let's go on i was just going to say yeah let's talk about what support is out there now you hmm. spoke about naomi and a page which is autism australia is it
1: but no it's um it's um uh, life on the spectrum life so on the spectrum. So, I mean, you can Google, you can say it in Google here or go on Facebook. She has a private group and you can join that. And that's really, really important. So I'm sure you're going to give the um, the details of that in this podcast. Um, but I found that that was completely valuable. There was two things to that, though. I suppose I wanted to say is that, you know, I didn't want to go onto the page. And maybe some of your listeners might want to to, to listen to this but. I found that a lot of people would get, get on there and then they would speak about their woes and their lifestyle and all oh, had the impact. And, and, mm. and I'm not saying I'm so frivolous in the fact that, you know, we're still going through this too, but I didn't want to get onto a page where it was, it's, it's great to express and it's great to offload, but I'm more of a, an individual that goes, okay, then I understand the impact it's having on your life, but let's not get too bogged down on that. What are we going to do about it? You know, yeah. and that's sometimes that hard transition. It's like getting a coach like yourself to get involved and say, look, you know, you as an individual almost need to go through that whole process yourself. So then you can be a, in a better frame of mind to actually take care of your son or your daughter or whoever it is that you're looking at. So I would always say it starts with you first. It's almost like the analogy of of, you know, when you're on an airplane, they say put your mask on before you put the child's mask on. Mm. It's exactly the same principle and that you've got to get yourself in the right space before you can get your child in the right space to move forward. So I would always recommend that certainly start with you first, get over your things and then move on because it will trap you. Mm. Because if you haven't quite coped with, all of the emotion that goes with the whole graven process, you're going to get locked in there. And I think that that's what happened to both my partner and myself, that she was quite yeah. like locked in there. She didn't want to talk about it. It was mm. something that It just, and I yes. wanted to fix it naturally. So this resistance would always be be there all of the time until we finally aligned, we got the diagnosis, we were finally aligned. And it's a case of, okay, then we can't change what we can't change. Mm. but we can change how we're going to cope with his his, his condition and what we're going to do about it. So that would be probably an important point to make. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely.
1: So, but then outside of that is what other, um, you know, systems are in place to help you. Mm. And definitely those coping groups are very, very important. um, so, um, you will also, once you get the diagnosis, you'll be, you'll be given a, a worker who will be designated to your specific area through NDIS and the NDIS funding. So, and they will be able to tell you what kind of um, services are available to you, whether or not there's speech, whether or not for schooling, you know, because my, my boy has a full time carer, um, whether or not there are toileting issues, and uh, there's a great um, system called Pebbles which helps. So um, there are, as i are, say there are a lot of fundamentals within the, the diagnosis, but there are also a lot of services around there to help and, and, and help that transition
0: and help you along. Mm. Okay. All right. Mm. That's great. And look, as you said, uh, I think it's really important uh, with this podcast to make sure we've got some links for people to get through to some of these yeah. support services. Most mm. important thing I wanted to do today in getting you on is just have an open and honest account of yeah. the challenges and also just the the, the, the joys and, and helping to, you know, um, assist dads who may be going through realising that their child might be autistic to realise that it's not the end of the world, it's not a disease, it's simply something that, yes, yeah. it's going to cause some massive challenges, you know, for their family but there yeah. is hope and uh yeah there's some incredibly um amazing people in the history of our world who have done some great things because of being yeah. on that spectrum so look let's wow. just go back and let's let's talk about your personal journey a little bit more the grief process that you went through um you know your coping strategies did you turn to alcohol initially you know did you find yourself getting a lot more stressed? Did you find work harder to deal with? You know, what's what's your honest yeah. account of, of how things have been for you in, in the last five years and
1: Yeah, it's um yeah, I I think what I think what I found most of all it was it was such an impact on the relationship that I had with my wife. And I think that part was probably the hardest. I mean that was you, you know, we, we'd have to live a very separate life. I mean, you know, I would have to stay away from the shops because if I took him to the shops, he would be violent. You know, he would, I mean, he's certainly not a violent boy, so he's not smacking his head against the wall or causing self-harm, but he would be violent to me and he would gouge up my face. It, and it was all purely stress-related, which is a huge part of the mm. condition. Um, and, uh, you know, that that kind of... That kind of difficulty, it, it has a really, really deep effect on you. You know, it's because you, you, you understand and you think, well, how could you do that to me? I'm your dad, and he wouldn't call me dad yeah. because he naturally couldn't talk, but he would come to me mm. like a father and son. But he, there was no relationship as such in terms of father and son. He would just he would grab me and then kiss me, but then tear out my face. And I remember once walking out of a out of a, um, a shopping centre with bags in one hand, him on the other. I'm blood dripping down my nose after he head butted me. And um, mm-hmm. you know, you've got all of these people, you know, thousands of people looking at your shopping center, and you're walking through there thinking, what is going on here? And you've really got to keep a sense of perspective on it. And I found that at times you don't, you don't get a sense of yeah. perspective. You know, and, and it's and it's very easy for me as a as a I suppose as a coach and say, these are the principles you, you should lead by. And this is the things, but when you put in that position and you're You've got the emotion behind it as well because it's a deep, deep emotion. It just takes all of that away. It just strips it bare. So you're vulnerable. So you've got to really come to terms with those deep emotions. And and it's grief. It is grief. People, you know, I mean, there's times I've cried, you know. So, you know, when when you start to listen to all of those sort of things in yourself, you just think, you know, this is a lifelong process now. I, it doesn't, there won't be some day where my boy is going to be normal. That those, those I hate to say that, you know, we, we're, we're going to have to sell a house. We're going to have to probably get a house with a, with a, maybe a, you know, a shared accommodation on there. You know, I'm going to have to change my career. It, it's not just one part that has an effect on it. Has, it has, this is a lifelong mm. journey. So yeah. for me, it was a little bit harder. But for other people, it mightn't be so bad, you know? But you know, the other aspect of that as well is that I'm also in an easier place than some other people. And I think sometimes we forget that, you know? You know, mm-hmm. there was, you know, so I've seen some autistic kids and they just absolutely just break your heart by by causing self-harm. and that we're not in that position. So I count myself very, very, very lucky. Uh, but it's... It's a process that's never ending, and I think it's important to keep that communication open with your partner and make sure that she understands and she expresses herself to you, and also have time out. I mean, there was a first, the first four years of, 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 of our child's, I suppose, condition is that we never went out. Now, when I say we never went out, we never went out once for four years. We never went out mm-hmm. on a date, we never went to a bar, We couldn't because we couldn't leave him with anyone. You know, we'd leave him with, uh, because we went to work, we'd leave him with our in-laws. And that's mm-hmm. fantastic. Uh, but you could see, it was very difficult for them to cope with this condition because they just yep. didn't know how to do it. Um, so we wouldn't ask in our own personal time whether or not we could have support or just get time out just to be man and wife, mm. couple, lovers, yeah, friends, sure. well, all of those sort of things that are vitally important. And I, I, that was one thing I absolutely wish that I would have taken on board a whole lot more. I yep. should have really spent far more time not focusing on some because it was so easy, but also focusing on ourselves. You know, as I said before about the analogy of putting the mask on the, the, yourself before you, you have to do that because you're in a better space your partner's in a better space to cope. And that's why we've got that 80% occurrence rate and unfortunately people separate because they just, they're not aligned. And remember as well, that line, although might be linear for for most, we're all on that line very differently. So I appreciate that my partner was behind me. I was more on acceptance, so I was further on than her. And then likewise, I pulled back and she would go forward. And it's how you draw that line together, but understand and respect that sometimes along that grieving process line, you're always going to be in a different space. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so it, it, it's still hard. It's still hard and, and will continue to be hard, but every day it's a, a little bit better. We, we understand it a little bit better, but his condition changes an hour by hour moment. What, what, what strategies we pl- put in place today might not necessarily work tomorrow. <laughs> and yeah. That's just the condition. That's just the way it is. So, mm. but it's really, really important to, to see each other, you know, to, to be with each other, to be a couple. Uh, you know, we, as I said before, you know, we become a, a king size bed made for three. That's our that that is our life. He's up every night, every yep. night. He's on drugs to help him sleep, but he's up every night. Mm. So it's how we do that whole working social balance, you know. Uh, you know, parenting balance. And remember as well, one thing we haven't spoken about is the three other children within this as well. Mm. You know, it's, it has a massive impact on them too. Yeah. You know, their and life how,
0: is- how do they manage it? Actually, I have to say they've managed
1: it really, really, really well. Um, y- you know, they, they need their own space and that's important. The teenager's growing up. Um, one of them's already, obviously so she's almost 20. So... Uh, so she's a little bit different so she's more the actually the two girls within the family they're very very supportive so mm. they spend a lot of time with him which is fantastic just while making dinners and that's sort because of we have to separate dinners because he's on a, a very different diet than what we are on and um you know but the, the uh, we've been very very lucky in that they transition along i suppose the, the our journey has been really really good but it's not necessarily mm. like that for other families. so it's Really, really important at the beginning to sit them down and, and get them to understand because it's a, it, sometimes it's not a physical disability that you can visually see. So people can rationalize about that. And I often, you know, I've heard people say, would it be easier to have a disabled child as, as being visibly disabled than, than a mental disability because he looks so normal? <laughs> I, I keep going back to that whole normal, but he just looks like every other child. Mm. And I think you're probably right. It probably would have been easier to accept if he wasn't in that whole normal. And I, I hate to say that. It sounds so terrible, but it would also be easy for other people then to go, oh, I get it. I understand. <laughs> but it's almost like this blind condition of people don't go, well, you know, your, your kid's acting out, uh, you know, it, give them a backhand. And, uh, you know, you can't beat the autism out of him. It doesn't work that way what's socially acceptable for him is very different than what we do you know so um so yeah it's um but the kids have been great they've they've really really embraced it they understand his quickness he flaps in the corner he does his things you know and and we have a laugh and a giggle about it and you have to you have to find humor in it because if you didn't you you'd fall apart on a daily basis so we've, we found our, our coping mechanisms and now we laugh a whole lot more than we ever did do. And that will change. Mm. That will change. Yep. So, yeah, but no, they've, uh, we've been very lucky. We've been very lucky.
0: Mm. Mm. And you mentioned that, uh, that your son has a different diet to the rest of the family. How does it differ? And why is that?
1: Yeah, well, he's on still blended foods. Um, you know, he has a sensory processing disorder as well, so okay. in terms of textures and that sort of stuff, like meats, all that sort of stuff. It's very very different. And he sees a dietitian on that. Um, so, uh, you know, he likes he likes stuff that's blended. So if it's got no body to it, you know, a good analogy is we used to uh, we'd hear people saying, "Oh, I'm trying to get my my child off chicken nuggets and that sort of stuff from McDonald's." I gladly go down and buy my boy a McDonald's because he just wouldn't eat a chicken nugget. It's just, it's so crazy to think about it. He's still on blended baby food at the moment. Mm. So it's how we get over that process. And because of it, he, he's obviously got difficulty in his motor function as well, that, that difficulty in terms of him actually feeding himself is, and to get him to sit down and actually have a meal with us is almost impossible because he's all, yeah. he's down He's back he's forward he's crossed the room he's back again he takes another mouthful and he, it so it's, it is such a disruption so we we, we very much separate ourselves unfortunately mm-hmm. that's the routine that we have that works for us at this stage and that's what I'm saying it works for us however we're now at a stage now where we're slowly introducing you know uh, strategies that we can try and involve him more in his normal diet uh, in, a, mm-hmm. in a possible normal diet. Um, but also as a family, so it's important to try and you know bring those family routines together and do it as a family. So because we have the two different, we we have the two different routines, and it's important to try and draw those together because we are a family. You know, yeah. we, we mustn't yeah. let this condition take control of everything that mm. we do on a daily basis. It's impossible. Mm. You just you just mm. can't do it. So yeah. you just gotta try and bring some normality
0: to it. Mm. Do you think that the world is becoming more accepting of autism? Um,
1: I think it's the diagnosis. Of, I, I think autism has always been there. I just think it's been diagnosed under probably a different, you know, under a different condition. Maybe now we're, we're a little bit more savvy on, on the diagnosis. So, uh, you know, I remember someone saying to me, it seems all the rave now. I, I, I don't think she meant it in the way that she says, it seems all the rave now to have an autistic kid. And, um, you know, some people can be insensitive to what they're saying, but, it, but they take the insensitivity out to what she said. I, I can understand that because I think, you know, that whole acceptance on, on on who and what we are, you know, we're getting a bigger society now. Where, you know, how we interact and how we relate to each other is um, mm. is obviously more prevalent. So it, it's far more on the front. We're a very social being now. So yeah. those social, um, visual social aspects are seen a whole lot more now, mm-hmm. and I think um, you know that we're getting better diagnoses. We're getting far easier e- and earlier intervention, which which any any intervention, early intervention is the only way to go. The problem is the system is too hard to go through. You know, I, I was very lucky. had the money to go down and go okay then let's get a diagnosis and let's get this done some people are you know they're going to their gps and it might take them two years and that's two years and 24 months of non-therapy that could work for that child in that situation which will reduce costs anyway further down the track and the issues that go Mm -hmm. along with that so Mm -hmm. to me that early intervention and that framework is so, so, so important. And there are, there are systems like skill builders and that that are coming on and, and um, uh, therapy focus and all of these people that are, their businesses in their own right. But there's the great systems whereby the government is now changing over to the newer NDIS system. Um, because there are also a lot of people as well out there who were bleeding the system with a diagnosis but not really having any issues at all. And as taxpayers, we're paying for that. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of different things. I understand why the system is the way it is and we can't change that, but we can, we can change how we perceive it. Um, But we can also, there
0: are obviously people out there who are trying to change the system and make it easier.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, absolutely. What what do you know about that? What,
0: yeah. Yeah. What changes do you think do really need to be made? You, You spoke about, uh, you know a diagnosis and then treatment taking 2 years for people who don't have the money to slap down i mean that's that's something for starters that needs to be changed and what you're saying is that the ndis framework allows parents to sit down i i've just had my um uh my brother-in-law uh mm. his his mum you know has just gone through with my wife and done all of his ndis uh, you know, framework paperwork and it was arduous, it was long. Yeah. A lot of people would probably put it in the too hard basket, but as you're saying, it's there for a reason as well to yeah. weed out people who might be trying to rule the system. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, what what else do people need to know about this process? And 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 you've said that it is getting better. How does it need to continue to improve? And is this something that that we can help? to improve
1: um i don't i don't know how we can help to improve it i mean obviously any voice is a voice and and that and that's fantastic and i think that that's that pressure that we put on the system to try and show areas of of where through because people do fall through the cracks it's 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 separating the wheat from the chaff and i think once you separate those and you really understand what the fundamentals are we've already got to understand that you know, the system shouldn't be so hard for people to work in. I think that it's like, because they're already gone through this grieving process. They're already wondering, you know, what's happening to my child? What's going on here? You know, mm. and then we go to a system whereby it's yeah. it's just hard right from day one. And I think the reason it's hard from right from day one is because, number one, you have to get the fundamentals there. But number two, you have to separate that way from the chaff and say, well, actually, you haven't really got a diagnosis and and, mm-hmm. and put the money, because at the end of the day, it's not a bottomless pit. I get that. I understand that as a taxpayer, and like you're a taxpayer. and um, We understand it's not a bottomless pit. We want yeah. the money to go into areas where it's important. But at the same time, the system doesn't have to be so hard. And I found that what we were trying to do for, for numbers is that we're trying to put one person in charge of, Fifty thousand different children, which is just impossible. You couldn't possibly evaluate every child in an in a, in an organised fashion. In the so it's definitely under resourced in terms of people. There's no doubt of that. Mm. Um, and that's definitely fundamental and number one, far as I've been saying that. There's just not enough people to go around mm. Mm. And help get the diagnosis to move them forward. So it's actually about spending the money early on rather than later yep. down the track when these children or mm. who are Semi adults to adults being not able to to work because well what what are they going to do as a, as a, as an individual as a as a contributor to society what are they are, are they just going to be in constant care all of the time so you know I think that early intervention is so so important but just not make the system so hard you know that it, it, it's got to be easier it's got to be easier um, I understand why the framework is there I get it. But it's got to be easier. There's got to be an easier way. It has to be an easier way. So, and I think because we're changing now, over, the WA is changing over to a newer system now. The, the, the system needs to be refined. And then we've got to constantly evaluate it. is it working in this circumstance? Is it not? Do we have to change it? Can we adapt this? You know, uh, yeah, you know, so there's, there's, there's so many different ways they could look at it. Um, But I think because we're only going through that transition at this stage, we're only adopting the NDIS framework from the rest of the country. They've been running at it differently than than we have. Um, But now that's being introduced now. So we've got to go back to the Always go back to the drawing board. Can it be easier? Can it be better? Can it be easier? Can it be better? But not have the financial aspect drive it. It's important. What you've got to say is, what is my outcome? Is my outcome the, the benefit of this child or the health of this child? That's that's the defining process. So the end result from, from diagnosis to, to uh, I suppose, therapy end, which it might never end. Um, yeah. That's the important part. Not, okay, then this is how much it's going to cost. It's there. But I don't want this to define that. That has to be first. This has to be second.
0: Agreed. What do you wish to share with dads who are listening to this podcast or mums to help them to be more accepting of your child with autism?
1: Um, You know, it's funny, actually, my little boy went to a birthday party for the first time, not last week, the week before, and um, you know, he's good as he defenders on, and he obviously looks different than all the other kids. But the kids embraced him tremendously. Um, mm. Some of the parents were a little bit not really too sure what was going on. You could see they were they were uncomfortably comfortable. <laughs> you know, for what we would we would say, "Oh, that's perfectly normal. Don't worry about it." And they'd be obviously taking photographs and looking, going, "What's going on?" <laughs> it just. So, I think acceptance is a, is a big, big part of it. And, and, you know, all kids come in different shapes and sizes that are, is so unique. And, and I think it was funny actually because the kids were actually more accepting of him than the adults were. You know, and, and because kids don't have that frame of reference, they don't have those barriers in place. They're not being programmed to, to understand what it is. They just accept him as he's Caitlin. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. That's just perfectly normal. And I dropped him off at school this morning, and he went in hand in hand with a little girl, and the girls were all walking behind him. Fantastic! He's doing a great job. <laughs> but you know, the kids are great in that respect. It's just the parents—they they, they need to understand that it's the condition is not a blind condition. You might visibly see yeah. no no disability with the child you, visually; you don't see it, but you can mm. see there's a there's a mental there's a there is a mental condition behind there. And and how he's wired is very very different than than, than other kids. Yeah, and uh, it's that mutual respect and understanding. Because I've had mm. you know families say you know doesn't doesn't you know your child take away the services from my child who's developing normally, and that's a perfectly.
0: Ah, oh, jeez, ouch. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, it's it's a perfectly. Uh, my rational head says, "Yeah, you're absolutely right." My father on my protective head says, I want to punch you in the face. <laughs> but but I understand that. I understand that. So I, I'm, I can probably reflect on it far, far better than other people and understand why people would think that. But it's all about that acceptance of all of the children within the same framework and that we all develop on a different way. You know, we all might develop in a particular way that other children do. So, it's very, very important for them to understand that because yep. as a judge, we, we kind of judge and we can go, oh yeah, that, 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 and we can put everyone mm-hmm. in categories on, on how we perceive it to be. It's just not the case all, yep. And that only comes mm-hmm. down to uh, those natural things, education, you know, they understand what it is and how they have got to react to it as well. So mm. you are too judgmental, unfortunately, in society today. We we live in a judgmental society. We promote it on TV, you know. Mm. You know we we you know we we glamorize drama, and we think it's all okay. And that has an impact on everything in our life. It's not just one aspect; it encompasses everything. So yeah. they they got to understand and separate it and go. This is not drama. This is, this is a little human being that is developed and grown differently from my own child. Mm. What can I do to help?
0: Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So help me to summarize our conversation today. The things I've taken out um, of it, just to just to rattle a few things off. Uh, number one, early intervention is very important. So don't stick our head in the sand as parents. If we see something that we feel needs to be checked out, um, mm. you know, medical, behavioral, whatever, do it. Yeah. yeah. Put our mind to ease. Number two, open communication with our partner no and, uh, and also making sure that uh, that you are making time for yourself and making time for, you know, your relationship, however you need to make that happen. However, mm difficult it's going to be for the sake of that marriage do that yes
1: yeah absolutely. and
0: um and then yeah the other the other thing i really got out you know each child is different uh you know things are changing people are starting to understand autism a lot more uh, mm. but you know there are still a lot of parents out there a lot of teachers um you know a lot of the public in our in our shops that would see what happened to you and your your blood nose walking out of the shop and make some incredible judgments not being as sympathetic or empathetic as they should be of of the situation yeah. that you can't change or that you are doing your best to manage yes yeah what yeah, what are, what are some true. other mm.
1: yeah it's um i think the way you you've popped that is, is 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 absolutely correct um i think I think the, the one part that is probably more prevalent for me is the relationship that I have with my partner. That was probably the most important part that I don't, I think we were just so, so far apart in what we thought, you know, and as I said before, without going back over it, the, 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 the communication was on two different levels. And it was, you know, if you need to go and see a counselor, go and see a counselor. If, you know, if there's a stigma behind it, or go, go and see a therapist, go and see someone that is going to draw that line back together. We let it, we did let it go on for far too long. We absolutely did. And I think that's just a coping mechanism also for my partner because she was locked in her world. I was locked in my world. Um, And, and, and thank God we were strong enough to actually get through that. And thank God we're, we're, we're just a, we were able to work through that together and just respect those Mm. those moments where she had to be where she had to be. I did, but it didn't mean we were going to own separate lives. Um, Mm. But I have to say it could have, it really could have gone that path if we'd allowed it to be. So it's Mm. about putting your hand out to someone and saying, I need help. And I don't think, certainly as a man, it's hard to do that because you won't be in control, but you know, and, and she would go off and speak to her friends more than she would readily speak to me. And that's mm. perfectly normal. That's just normal. It's how we draw out those, you know, those, um, those issues, but bring it together as because it's our child. And that's how we have yeah. got to be on the same wavelength and how we are. We can't fix it, but how are we going to manage this? How are we going to mm. manage it together? So yeah, I find cool. just all those basically writing almost like a care plan, getting organized together. Drew us together because we were able to work together and say, "Okay, then this is what you can do, this is what I can do. Let's draw it together so we're all on some kind of of plan." And I found that that helped a great deal because then we were it was, we were more open then to, to able to talk about it and understand it. So yeah, it's um, but that definitely that was the one part that that had the biggest impact on me as a relationship, and and to be frank, it still is. So it's, it's a never-ending process, like whole growth. It's ne- it never stops. It always continues. It always continues. Mm-hmm. you got to adapt with it. Yep. So, yep. so,
0: yeah. And this, look, this goes for uh, for all of our listeners. You know, we're, we're dads who are going through one of the most difficult times in our life rearing young children and whether yeah. they have know autism or or medical issues or not um, it's a very tough time on our relationship, so you, yeah. know, you know that that communication having that having that plan in place for where and, and how you're going to come together that's that's important for all of us, isn't it?
1: Yeah well I, I think historically we see women as being the the, the, the childbearer and then naturally they they're the ones who take care of the child. I'm a very active father. So mm. pick up and drop offs and nappies and I mean my my boy's still in he's still in nappies at the moment, mm. so I do all of that. I, I, I'm a nurse, so it's easy yep. for me. So I I can I can kind of relate to that, not just as a man but as a father. Mm. But other traditional men say that that more is that's the wife's role. That's but but we're now we're a team, and mm. it's how we draw those things together as a team and say okay then. Yeah. I made this child with you. You made this child with me. We've got equal responsibilities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Most people now got two. We've got two incomes. We've got th- they're, they're working just as hard as we are. You know, we we've, we've got to chip in and do our bit at home, whether it be the the washing or the bits and the bobs that go on with that, and the putting them down, to, you know, putting them down to sleep. And you, you got to, got to. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. those days are gone. Those traditional days are gone. Society has moving forward now. We're not. We're no mm-hmm. longer like. Oh, uh, it's that plan. Get organized. Get a plan.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Barry um, Jones, is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners today? This is your podcast episode. What have you got to share?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Joining me. No, no, no. Um no, I I think you've, you've covered up almost everything. I and mean, when we could go on about this for days, we really could. Um I could probably tell you a bit more intimate stuff. We'd probably get a few tears with that, but I think overall, you've, you, you've, probably, you've probably encapsulated everything that's needed to be said, but I, I, I still think the most important thing that people need to understand is go and get help. And ask mm-hmm. for help. When it's getting really, really hard, and whether it be autism or anything else, go and ask for help. Because once you make that move, that's the hard part. The easy part is the, the, after that. But the, the actual movement into that, that space is the difficult part. So go and get help. Go and ask for help. Go to your GP. Go to your friends. Go to your family. Just say I need help. It doesn't matter where you get it from. Just get help. Don't be. Don't try and be a survivor and hero because it just it'll suck you up and it'll 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 suck you dry and you you just won't be able to function. So go get help. Go get help and don't be embarrassed.
0: Absolutely. Don't be embarrassed. Mm and look the the big core message of of the superdads is you know you are not alone you know yeah that's absolutely. why we've got such an amazing community there are yeah. you know it's it's been fantastic um you know for for me personally to be able to get such an insight and perspective into other people's challenges because sometimes I get so wrapped up in my own that I don't yeah. realize that I've actually got life so good, you know so yeah, and I really appreciate the message that you've shared today. There is hope. There are so many, um, you know, high-performing, amazing people out there that uh, you know have stepped up as super dads and and uh, you know are uh, uh, doing the best thing for their children and and uh, you know uh, tackling some very, you know, difficult life challenges. Having children with autism, for example, and all of these are. Uh, you know, behavioral issues that you've covered today. But, you know, we're all here for you. If you're listening, make sure that you do reach out inside the Superdad app. Make sure that you go to the links that I'm going to share in the show notes and uh, don't do it alone. So thank you very much for joining us and uh, thank you very much, Barry Jones. Anytime, mate.
1: You take care, Jared.
0: Good on you, mate. Please make sure that you listen in for the next episode and make sure you download the Superdad app at the superdadapp.com.